All of these companies at the end of the year are going to be faced with a decision of whether they continue using HubSpot or do they completely change their CRM and marketing automation platform. Very quickly, you start learning all these areas that you can use CRM for. 90%, if not 99% of the native integrations that CRM purport to have are really marketing ploys. Going from a year's worth of using one platform and changing it completely just because the pricing is going to go up so much. Just because the pricing is going to go up so much. So much. So much. 90% conversational marketing automation discussion. Hello, hello, this is Alex Glenn and welcome to the Marketing Automation Discussion. This is your first listen. I am your host here to ensure you have the most insightful and actionable content around the topic of marketing and sales automation. Today is a very special type of episode called a mastermind discussion where I invite more than one participant to have an open discussion to clear up a major pain point we see in the world of marketing and sales automation. The focus of today's mastermind is CRM. My guests are Scott Gallatly from Scale My Empire in Melbourne, Australia, Alex Bass, founder of Cyberbytes in New York, and my colleague, founder of Yellow O and our head of stack services here at Automated, originally from London, but streaming to us now from Phuket, Thailand, Mr. Mark Colgan. I've invited these three experts to help me shed light on a topic of choosing and building out your scalable CRM system, your customer relationship management system. This is the aspect of any sales stack that can either be the most expensive mistake you have to replace or the most valuable tool helping your sales and marketing team understand where every prospect is and triggering the necessary automations to better your customer experience. This is a subject I take very seriously. So one guest will not cover all of the bases. I needed the full gamut. I needed to bring out all the guns. So I invited Scott, Alex, and Mark to be with me on this episode. We go in very deep. This discussion was over 120 minutes before edits. You will hear about what to look out for when considering free versions of a CRM. You'll hear about CRM strategy, when and how to consider CRM in your stack. You'll hear about the necessary considerations around CRM triggered automations, how to set up your CRM for success, pricing for the two main CRMs, and finally, the business models of each of these CRMs so you know which will be best for your business long-term. If you aren't able to take notes, don't worry. We have you covered. The full episode in text format is available on automated.af with links, etc. Mark, Alex, and Scott are all absolute experts in startup and SMB CRM builds. So please pay attention to what they have to say if you are considering a new CRM for your business. Without further delay, let's get into this incredible discussion. Scott, why don't you start us off? Thanks, Alex, and uh, excited to be here. I think this is going to be a cracking cast. But uh, no, Scott Gavitley here, co-founder of Scale My Empire uh, from a little island called Australia off the coast of the rest of the world. 
And uh, we're an agency focused on helping other agencies and small to medium businesses to become more profitable through their tech platforms. Um, so we're all about helping become you know, more profitable with technologies like CRM, in particular Copper CRM and Pandadoc. Uh, we're also really proficient in uh, project management and resource planning tools like uh, Mavenlink and then all the automations between those sort of platforms. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. And uh, Alex B., why don't you introduce yourself and, and what you're up to? Yeah, so my name is Alex Bass. Uh, I founded the company Cyberbytes back in 2010. At that point, we were doing a lot of web development, online marketing. We quickly pivoted over to IT as a managed service provider. And then from there, we really saw a lot with small businesses and some of the inefficiencies going on because we were really close to the various processes or, or ones that didn't exist or was never documented. So I kind of fell in love with documentation at that point. And the final kind of pivot that we made is realizing, hey, we need to document these processes. At a core, we need to have some type of CRM. Got very close with Copper. Uh, Scott and I actually met through a Copper Partners Group, so we're both Copper Partners. And I just kind of fell in love with that and G Suite. And we kind of work with a few other tools as well, like Pandadoc, Help Scout, Asana, and Airtable. So we're very much about going to a company, documenting their processes, helping them understand where they can automate and where they're being inefficient. And it's just about streamlining everything and making all the tools that they love work together better. Thank you very much, Alex. And last but not least, Mark, are you there? Hey, yes, I am. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me here today. Really looking forward to the conversation. I work with B2B SaaS companies and help them with their sales and marketing processes. I'm also a founding member of a uh, Techstars and SureTech startup which are completed um, late last year. I currently help B2B SaaS companies scale their revenue um, through building out repeatable, scalable, and profitable growth strategies. And this is really achieved through a combination of um, my 10 plus years of sales and marketing knowledge, as well as deep experience in using marketing automation and CRM technologies day in, day out. So the likes of HubSpot, Salesforce, Drift, Intercom, Autopilot, if it's out there, I've probably tried it at least one. All right. It's very, very interesting, the group we have. So we're in four different time zones. We have three, possibly four different accents, depending on who you ask, <laughs> three different continents. So this is about as eclectic and unbiased as you could get, I believe, with this particular discussion. Our goals here on this podcast are to address a few issues. Number one, too many startups are pulled into CRM builds without understanding the end goal how that CRM will be used. Uh, number two, how to integrate is becoming easier yet more convoluted than ever as we transition from previous generation of coded and uh, hooked integrations into a world of connectors. Number three, how to know if your CRM is set up for success or if you just assume what you are dealing with is quote unquote typical. Number four, in particular, uh, SME versus SMB CRMs, the two we'll go into today are HubSpot versus Copper.com. And different types of CRMs suit different types of businesses. So let's start with high level, the state of the union with regards to the CRM industry. What's going on right now? There are new developments with regards to Copper.com, formerly ProsperWorks, which is why we're choosing to focus this discussion around Copper and HubSpot. Those are the two CRMs that obviously have a very large market share, Copper developing its market share, just raising another round, bringing the total round of investments to around $87 million. The world of all-in-one CRMs is getting more and more interesting by the day. The user.coms, the active campaigns, the agile CRMs of the world 
HubSpot is trying to become more democratic, bringing on Scott Brinker and talking a lot about in PR and in the news and in their content. And let's go ahead and talk about that real quick. So Alex B, I'd like your thoughts, if you can, around what's going on in the world of CRM. Yeah. So I think a, a lot of interesting things are going on where you have the Salesforce, which is the obviously the major player in the space, and they're 60 billion plus uh, industry, and they're very focused toward the enterprise space. And then you have some of the smaller competitors that have popped up. I, I say recently, um, but really within the past five, six years, it's kind of recent since Salesforce and, and Microsoft Dynamics and things like that have existed for quite a while now, 10 plus years. So you kind of have all these small contenders out there. So then you have a lot of people asking questions about, hey, you know, should I be using Copper or Pipedriver? You know, I, I envision our company is going to be large in the future. So should we actually go for Salesforce right now? Um, and then you have the free ones available. So I think a lot of it is very interesting. And what we come down to is is really understanding what the business processes that they have in place are. Is their business more of a small business and are their needs more based on marketing or sales? Um, what are these certain areas that are they have to have in their system? So, But a lot of the smaller guys, so Agile, um, and and copper and pipe drive, a lot of them they're they're very similar. So it's tough to be like, well, do you need this feature, this feature, this feature? Because a lot of them they kind of do the same thing. They just have their other little strengths. So I'm interested in talking a little bit more about it because if if G Suite, for example, is a large focus of yours right now, then I think copper is definitely leading in that space. And there's a few areas where it integrates a little bit better, but there are also some areas where it doesn't do things as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of discussing that a, a bit more with you guys. Yeah, we'll go into that a little bit more towards the end. Uh, Scott, what's your view on the State of the Union with regards to CRM? Well, uh, Alex, I think we're actually moving into sort of phase three of CRM, in my view. If you think of the first phase in the early days, dominated by a few number of key players, like your Salesforce, your Microsoft Dynamics, and then the market really started to fragment with the rise of uh, SaaS platforms and really affordable tools, right? And we had this huge deluge of products, which is half the reason why it's so hard uh, from the consumer to actually make a decision around what CRM they need. Uh, but I'm seeing that we're moving into phase three and there's, uh, you, you can already see it with the rebranding of a lot of tools. Copper's just rebranded. The old juggernaut Infusionsoft has just rebranded uh, into what? kept or slept, I'm not sure what, um, but you can see that you know, there's also a uh, con uh, convergence, if you like, in a general trend towards branding to a who and hyper-specializing your product or service to really just deliver um, the wants and needs of that who. And I see, I guess, two key trends one being that hyper-specialization of CRMs that are really trying to target a particular segment and just doing that extremely well. There might be some that stay general, but I think that that is an awesome game plan and completely solves the what CRM do I choose issue, which is a problem with this flooded market. And the other trend I see is the rise of AI and being incorporated into these platforms uh, and how they get in, how AI gets incorporated uh, and what they do and sort of who gets to market first is going to determine who wins phase three, like Salesforce kind of won phase one. Yeah, I have a, I have a question 
for you on that. So in phase three, along with it, because one of my buddies, he he worked at Infusionsoft for a while, and he's a very big proponent of Infusionsoft. What he sees with the Infusionsoft rebrand is they took a lot of those really, really, really powerful features that were confusing that you needed an expert to implement, and they removed them, and they didn't even add solutions for them. So he's frustrated as a power user, one that implements it. Do you think that phase three, two is kind of going to simplicity? So they're taking a step back and they're trying to make it so it's easier for the random person to just find them online, sign up for a free trial and start using them. Is that also kind of part of phase three or do you think that's just an oversight? No, no, I, I, you're absolutely right. And if you think of design thinking and a genuine focus in user experience moving forward, uh, plus convergence with that AI layer, which is going to be able to make the complex simple and abstract, a lot of that super, you know, challenging complex stuff that maybe you needed an expert for in the past. I just see the convergence of those those pathways to products which are super simple, free people up from needing to be in the detail to just doing what they do best, selling. Um, and uh, yeah, really focusing on that that user experience that just makes the product a no-brainer. So we're moving into the new generation of CRMs. Lots going on. I like that you mentioned the rebrand of Infusionsoft. I'm really curious to see what happens with Keep. I believe it's uh, supposed to be. But yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, we deal with a lot of SaaS companies in general here at Automated and we talk to a lot of founders and the AI side of things is very interesting. A lot of automated or, or kind of self-directed tasking on the AI side internally for CRMs. Those were some great points. So thank you very much, Scott. I want to hear what Mark believes is going on with regards to the status of CRM right now. Sure. I personally believe that um, there's going to be a move away from an all-in-one platform in the sense that the, especially from the conversation. I have with founders of SaaS businesses, they're not really looking for an all-in-one solution, but they want to have a, uh, a, a sophisticated tech stack that integrates really well together. So as you've seen uh, with, with HubSpot in the last year, they've added around over 90 new integration partners and opened up their API to 90 new API par- uh, development partners as well. Um, so I think what we're going to see is rather than the focus on all-in-one, it's going to be more of a focus on doing one or two things extremely, extremely well. And back to one of Alex's points before, uh, it was talking about Pipedrive. Very interesting to see that they've actually started to add in automation into their platform. So it looks like CRMs are stepping into more of the marketing side of things as well. Very important points. And, and this is where there are some interesting things happening. I believe, yes, you're right. Consumer up. Consumers do want the best possible solution for each aspect of the business. CRM, marketing, automation, chat, etc. What's very interesting is in the last couple of weeks, and we don't have to go off on this tangent, but Zendesk recently launched Cell, Drift added email marketing, intercom added email marketing and added bots. But um, I digress on that. I want to hear from uh, from Scott real quickly. I think you had one more point to add. It goes back to what I said about hyper-specialization. I think you can't master all things. And if you try, you don't do anything particularly well. Uh, and I can think of a few platforms that have tried to, perhaps they started in the marketing automation space and then bolted on a CRM at the back end and it just doesn't compete with the product that's purely focused at CRM, like say Copper. Um, and I see these companies that still seem to be trying to go into an all things to all people, yes. maybe because they've sort of reached peak growth, got an investment and they have to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that it's the capital raising that actually drives them to then try to 
bring in more features and bloat their platform. Um, and that's, in my view, a bit of a concern. And if I'm looking at who to partner with and what I'm looking for out of a CRM in the future, I'm personally sort of looking for, you know, keep it simple, do exactly what you do. And I get a little wary if they're trying to be all things to all people, particularly with all the automations and integrations, which we'll talk about a bit later that are available. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And something really interesting that happened to me recently was someone reached out and they were saying, hey, you know, we're looking at copper. I'm not quite sold on it yet. We're actually using it. We just signed up for a trial. We've been using it for a couple of months now. And we are also using Base CRM. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, Base was just acquired by Zendesk. How does that, you know, what, what are your feelings on that? And he said, that's the issue. He's like, I don't really like the direction that Zendesk is. So I was happy with Base, but now I, I don't want to be now part of, you know, he's now pulled into this all-in-one solution. And he never wanted to be there. But because of this acquisition, that's where they are. And exactly what mm -hmm. you're saying, I think these companies are seeing the success with Salesforce and how large market cap wise there are. And all the investors are saying, well, there's money in the CRM space. So it's like, well, how does Zendesk get bigger? Well, let's add a CRM component because maybe we could turn that into a $60 billion value. Don't think it's the right thing. And I think their customers also see it. And I feel like Zendesk actually took base and they tore a lot of it apart, um, trying to make it fit within their solution stack. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing, but it, exactly what you're saying, I really think it is the investors. They're messing with the the ecosystem quite a bit. That's an awesome point. Thank you for adding that. And it's a perfect segue into the next section. We want to talk about what you mentioned there around really considering what your use case is and what your customer journey looks like and really what the pipeline and the entire sales system looks like for you and your business before going down the route of deciding on what tools to put in place for what needs. So I want to talk about that real quick. I want to talk about the strategy first side of things. Mark, who just dropped off, actually, hopefully he'll jump back on soon. He and I had a great discussion on a previous episode where we talked about the mishaps that we've seen. And we just we were going through our mental Rolodex of all the clients that we've helped. And a lot seemed to happen over and over where you have a bootstrap startup or you have a startup team that uh, just needs to manage pipeline. They just need, you know, some sales management. So they go CRM shop. And then maybe fast forward a couple months where they see uh, conversions on the website dipping. So they go looking for a chat tool to hopefully increase conversions on the site. And then they're on MailChimp, but they start to have a need for drip campaigns that are triggered by whatever in the CRM or whatever on the site. So they go marketing automation shopping. And it creates this sort of a Frankenstein-esque stack where each tool was built or added ad hoc out of an immediate need instead of looking holistically at the entire system. So what I want to talk about, and I really want everyone's opinion on this, how do you approach CRM and when do you go shopping for CRM and how do you look at where that integrates holistically in the stack and in the operations and what is the thought process? You know, what are the steps that you would take when you're dealing with a startup that maybe has a little bit of traction, has a piece together stack. And now they're really looking for that stack that's going to take them to the next level. So let's start with you, Scott. Yeah, thanks, Alex. I think um, there's two sides to this, one being, you know, when uh, and the other being what. And if I start with the when, if you think of business as a journey that goes through iterations and sort of goes through phases uh, and the tech platforms that you need to focus on 
kind of align with that journey. So in the early stages, it's about sales. It's about getting your message out to market, testing what it is that you're doing, see whether it's resonating and ultimately making money, right? Generating revenue so that you can invest and build and, and grow. Um, and once you've sort of locked that piece down, that's when you'll typically focus on operations and start refining and making that more efficient, you know, turn that revenue into profit. So you know, when's the right time to be looking at CRM? In my view, it's the moment you, you start really. Um, you wanna be collecting information about the people that are coming in, testing of those people that come in, who is the message resonating with most and you know, who you're selling what to uh, at that stage. And then starting to refine and build your sales process into a high converting uh, machine that's going to uh, pump revenue out when you need it down the track. So you've got to start from the beginning. I think CRM is probably the first major buying decision outside of maybe accounting and you know, whether you're Google or Microsoft. Uh, it's the first major buying decision that any startup in any industry should be making. Uh, does that make sense, first of all? Yeah. And Alex, I think you have something to add. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just ag agree with him in that instance. I think a lot of people, especially starting a business, they always get stuck looking at the price of the CRM while that's $50 per user per month or, you know, $70, $80 per user per month and not realizing just how important it is to start having these relationships tracked from the moment you begin. If you're serious at all about your business, even starting up a company, I think really the first thing you should be putting in place is a CRM. Um, and yes, you should do a little bit of research around, does the CRM integrate, have an open API, integrate with the things that I need it to? So if you're going to be using like what you had mentioned, maybe they're using an accounting software like QuickBooks Online, well, am I able to do what I need to do to integrate the CRM with QuickBooks Online? That's definitely an important thing to look into, but I, I agree, you really should dive into and get a CRM in place as soon as possible, just at the very least to get your mind working in a way to understand what CRM is understanding people, companies, opportunities, leads, and how they relate with one mm -hmm. another. There's so many small business owners that I've talked to that use Excel for CRM, and they just don't understand the dynamic or the relationship of everything. So really just start using it and and learn, and that money is very well spent. Um, it's, it's even just on a learning curve. If you end up spending $500 on a CRM and you're like, I don't like this, at least you learn CRM for 500 bucks. Like people spend a lot more money on school and learn nothing. Really good point. Yeah, great points. I think a very, very big part of this, and Mark will touch on on this, is what your CRM is going to be used for. There is a use case for using a CRM for your candidate backlog. Uh, there's a use case for using your CRM for your partnerships funnel. So let's talk about that real quick and just making sure you understand what your CRM can and will be used for. So Mark, do you have anything to mention around that? Yeah, it's just just to just to really mirror on both um, Alex and Scott's points about um, understanding how you're going to use it and why you're going to use it. And for example, making this one of your first decisions, if you are going to go down the channel partner route or form partnerships with other businesses within the same market, these relationships take a fair bit of time to, to develop and then nurture. Um, so you really want to be using a dynamic CRM uh, rather than an Excel spreadsheet. So I couldn't agree more with the point that the CRM should be one of the first decisions that you make. And Scott, you have one more point to add? Oh, just going back to what uh, Alex Bass just mentioned about the cost as well. I mean, you think even 10, 15 years ago, to implement a single piece of software like a Salesforce or something 
required local infrastructure, you, you drop $100,000 on it without a problem. Yeah. Uh, and now you can get away for 50 bucks a month per head. I mean, if your whole tech stack costs you $1,000, um, you know, across CRM and project management, everything else, um, it is a great time to be a business, mm -hmm. realistically, because that is just something that you couldn't build or couldn't get at all only a few years ago. So the cost is really pretty minimal. And if you're not, uh, if you don't have a business that's covering that 50 bucks per head, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you've got bigger problems to worry about. Um, and I think to Mark's point uh, on, you know, how they actually intend to use the CRM, um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, as a business, if you are a relationship uh, sales business, if your job is to go out there, build relationships, sell with a proposal, perhaps do a lot of face-to-face, -face, so like an agency or a service provider, you want a CRM that's targeted and suited to uh, relationship-based sales. So strong pipeline, lots of uh, reporting around uh, how you're interacting with your clients and lots of neat tricks um, for you know, sales team using the product. If your uh, whole marketing strategy and sales strategy is to sell things online, perhaps at scale, then you're looking at a different class of CRM. You're not actually looking to compete or shouldn't be assessing relationship-based CRM, you should be looking at you know, your Infusionsofts, your active campaigns and you know, your HubSpots mm -hmm. and so forth because they have that awesome automation, scalable selling with reporting, especially reporting, around those sorts of uh, features and functions that are going to drive that for you. It's less about the human relationship. And I, you could draw a line in the sand as to what a CRM is best suited to mm -hmm. and cut 50% of the market out of the buying decision just on that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think to what Alex had pointed right before all this, uh, moving some of it forward with what can a CRM and should a CRM be used for, I think it plays off all of this that it's like, as long as you have your processes documented, you'll see very quickly. I think just getting involved in it and, and documenting your sales process, that's a clear, very easy thing to get working and understand the flow of CRM. And then once you get comfortable with it, all of my clients have just very quickly been like, wait a minute, I'm actually not using any project management software. Why can't I just create another pipeline, call it projects, and then we can very simply use CRM for our project management. And then after that, it comes down to hiring. You know, I deal with hiring and I'm just throwing this in random places. I don't even know if I'm, I'm keeping up to date with it. Why don't I just create a pipeline for hiring? And then very quickly, you start learning all these areas that you can use CRM for. And from what I've seen, it's really just about processes. It's just using these various pipelines as a different process. It doesn't have to be sales. It doesn't have to be marketing. It doesn't have to be very focused in the traditional idea of a CRM. It's just any process that you could break down to stages that you would want to start somewhere and end somewhere else, you can literally create a pipeline, create an opportunity and create that process. I love that point. And I hate to make it even more convoluted than ever, but um, Airtable, very interesting things in the world of customizable CRM. 
You know, if you do want to use your CRM for absolutely anything, and I know Alex, you have a lot of experience with Airtable and love it. And there are some interesting things that I think are going to be developed and maybe back to the point about where CRM's going, making your CRM more of a project management, Kanban style project management, where pipeline becomes anything that's maybe just revenue generating, but any of the revenue generating processes in your business become a pipeline in your CRM or the ability to create those multiple types of pipelines in their CRM. So that's a perfect caveat to the next section that we want to touch on. So I haven't heard from Mark in a little while. So I want to talk to Mark first. Mark, let's talk specifically to the SaaS leaders that are listening. What could a SaaS company really look for in a CRM? Yeah, and I think this mirrors all the points we've made so far. Uh, really, when it comes to SaaS, you, you want to have a CRM that integrates well with other platforms, especially if you're looking at a new CRM solution. Um, this isn't the beginning of the very beginning of the business. This is you've reached a point where you've identified that you need to uh, develop a new CRM or use a new CRM system, and you've already got existing technology set up. So you might have Recurly managing your subscriptions. And I'm just using that as one example. Um, so you, you'll need to find a CRM that integrates well with your wider tech stack. Uh, and especially when you look at the tech stack and then your, the processes that you have. So, for example, some SaaS businesses have a, a mixture of a self-serve model and then also inside sales just because of the price point there. And what you can come up against there is sometimes duplication of opportunities because your, um, your, the leads generated and the conversations that, you're, that your sales team are having with people um, can often at the same time be duplicated with that same person having a great conversation with a salesperson and then just going and signing up if you've got a self-serve model. So you really need to make sure that these real nuances of, of scenarios that can happen are facilitated by the CRM and its integrations. Um, and that's just one from a recent experience with, with a SaaS business. That's a very important point. So depending on your industry, there's SaaS companies in real estate, SaaS companies in healthcare, SaaS companies in events, et cetera. That's a very important point where depending on your industry, there may be a tool that you have to use because it's the winner in your industry and you're not going to go away from that tool. So it may be wise to start there and look at a CRM that integrates well with that hub tool that you're going to have to use based on your vertical. Great point there, Mark. And uh, Alex, you work a lot with the outside sales operations, those businesses that rely heavily on a sales force. So uh, why don't you talk real quickly about those? So I think a lot of this comes back to where, like how well you can integrate with the CRM. So how many triggers you can have happen and then what required fields you can make. So say, for example, you have a sales process within, you know, and you have an opportunity moving through the pipeline. And at one stage, you may have a follow-up pipeline. So you should be able to have certain required fields be met upon moving an opportunity to that stage. And then that should be the trigger that pushes it to an outside tool that can maybe do a drip campaign. So something that we use very often would be reply. So that can actually push the data over, automatically follow up with the the you know sales opportunity that you have there and supplement it. So you're still going to be making phone calls and things like that. But what makes a, a CRM great is one that can very easily push data outside of the system and then say that someone replies uh, within that email. Maybe you don't want it to any longer be kind of that automated bot because they replied, so you want to stop that. So 
could reply or this other software that you end up using, could that market is replied and go back to copper and say, hey, you know, move it to a different stage now. They're considered, you know, negotiating or active or we're no longer in the follow-up phase because they're they're clearly um, they're responding back. There's some type of engagement there. So what makes a CRM great is one that can really have triggers and actions function at various points throughout the process. So either a required, like you cannot move it here until you fill out this required field. And then from there, can you push out to a different system, have something happen in the other system, push back to the CRM and move it along the process automatically. Yeah, great points all around. And, and Scott, you work a lot with agencies. You bring a different perspective to this whole discussion. So why don't you mention for agencies or the groups that you work in particular with, what is on the list of what? makes a great CRM for you? Well, because we work predominantly with services-based businesses that have teams, they're very much relationship sales type organizations. A lot of face-to-face, they often use proposals, they meet with their clients, uh, and the sales process itself um, can be quite lengthy compared to perhaps an online sale. And so the sort of CRM that an agency or professional services need to look for is something that's going to be super conducive to usability. So it's got to have an awesome user experience. And a large part of that is how easy it is to get data in. And this is where, you know, there's such a pushback from products like Salesforce, where the user experience perhaps isn't great. It often requests an enormous amount of data uh, and salespeople uh, often, you know, use a different side of the brain <laughs> to the data side and uh, consequently don't update the system, don't use it properly, uh, and it becomes more or less a paperweight. Uh, and that's where products like Copper, which have a really simple, beautiful user experience, um, actually do a lot of the data entry for you by scraping emails and connecting to LinkedIn and things like that kind of take the pain out of a salesperson using that kind of product. Um, so I think the first thing you want to look for as an agency is a fantastic user experience and assistance with data entry. The second uh, being that your relationship focused uh, business, you want features that um, really support that. Uh, and if I go back to Copper, you know, it's got a really simple little uh, report that sits the, at the top of every contact or company telling you, how long it's been since you've spoken to somebody, how many times you've spoken to them uh, and what the date was you last spoke, you know, email, phone call, whatever. And you can instantly take a look at your list knowing that relationships are the most important things to sales and that most of your business is coming from return customers and just say, well, who haven't I spoken to for three months? Boom, get on the phone, start making calls. For most agencies, 80% of their business is return customers. They should be focusing on driving what's on their list. And a good CRM for them is a CRM that fosters that. And then the third thing, in my view, is reporting, particularly on sales conversion. So you're looking for a CRM that gives you a report on how well your sources are converting, how well your people are converting, how long it's taking to convert, because sales conversion is a measure of sales health, right? So if you have a high conversion rate, your sales process is good, your sales people are well-trained, your marketing message is clear, um, and they're being tied together and getting you plenty of revenue. 
and then it just means up you know up the marketing and your conversion rate will produce the dollars so you want a crm that's got strong reporting in that area and does that make sense, Alex? Complete sense. Thank you so much. That was a great answer. And Mark, you've got your hand up. So let's let's go back to Mark real quick for some quick thoughts on that. Yeah, just to add to Alex B's point about um, having uh, good integrations with the external uh, software, a bit like um, Reply.io. Um, I've used that quite a lot with with clients as well. And, and they, Reply.io, spent a phenomenal amount of time building a really good integration with Salesforce as well as with, with Copper. And I think when you're a founder and you're trying to make these decisions, you'll have a look to see what type of what integrations a software has with a CRM or, or larger all-in-one tool. Um, but you really have to dive deeper into that integration because I know some software say that they do have an integration, but it's very much a one-way. It's not a bi-directional sync, and you can't um, dynamically move people out of campaigns if they uh, respond, as was Alex's example. So I think that the point there is just to is just to double check how good that integration is. Going back to HubSpot's integration, if you're using HubSpot, their marketing platform rather than their CRM, but you're using that within Salesforce, they have a very very good integration with with Salesforce. And I think it was one of the first ones that they built out and made sure they built it out really in in, in a lot of detail. Um, so yeah, that's the point there. Double check those integrations. Great answer, Mark. And I'm going to actually move a section up in our review here. We're supposed to talk about pricing next, but let's talk about integrations. And before we do that, I just have to mention, I work a lot with Marketplace in the aspect of being able to create multiple contact types and multiple pipelines in your one dashboard, and then being able to delegate in your system, which users are able to view which contact types and which pipelines. That is an important feature to look at if you are a marketplace, a B2B marketplace that has sales operations on both sides. Uh, Not all marketplaces have that. Some are consumer facing on one side and B2B on the other side, but there are a lot more B2B two-sided marketplaces coming up and they need a CRM that works with both sides. So just look out for that if you are a marketplace. Great points, everyone. Thank you so much. So that's a laundry list of items to look for if you are considering a CRM and you all mentioned integrations. This is a huge component and it often makes or breaks the sale for a CRM, which is why so many startups and businesses in general go with a HubSpot or a Salesforce because they do have more two-way integrations with tools that you use every day. And it just makes things a lot easier when that two-way integration, that bi-directional sync is in place. Thankfully, uh, the world of integrations is becoming a lot easier and a lot more democratic than ever with the companies like Zapier becoming enormous and offering integrations with almost every SaaS platform on the marketplace. And then there's new white label integrations, which Copper specifically has chosen to partner with a company called Trade.io out of San Francisco. And Trey powers a lot of Copper's integrations, which benefits and hurts Copper in, in a number of ways. So let's start with Alex and let's talk about Zapier and also talk about uh, Copper specifically in the integration system that they built out with Trey. Yeah, so something kind of interesting that came up this morning, when I was doing a workshop, I was showing off Copper and a lot of the integrations that we've built. So for example, you move it to a certain stage, it will then go into Pandadoc and create a proposal, and then it will go into QuickBooks Online and create an invoice and send it. And what was interesting that I didn't even realize, because I was showing a lot of things that we built through Zapier and these custom integrations, 
at the end of the presentation, a few people brought up some questions. They're like, so out of curiosity, just so we use QuickBooks, so I'm so happy that it integrates with that. You know, do you know if it integrates with Square and this and this too? And I was like, oh, sorry, like I don't want to get the expectations wrong. Like natively, Copper does not integrate with QuickBooks Online. The stuff that I showed you, that was custom built. We're using something called Zapier to do that. So what was interesting is the the people that were watching, they're like, we need that integration. And they were under the assumption that it was natively built in. So you just set up copper and boom, all of a sudden, all this stuff starts working externally. But that's where, I guess it, that was proof to me that this is like fine to do it the way that we're doing it. We're using something like Zapier to connect these tools. And I showed a few of the people there how simply you can have a new trigger happen within Square. You know, you add a new customer because they make a payment. And then you can have that create them within copper. And it's a very simple, simple thing. Anyone could do it using something like Zapier. You just go in and connect two accounts. So I think realistically, the even the integrations, I think it's a little deceptive too. Some of these companies are saying, hey, we integrate with this, that, and the other thing. But you actually try them out. And the integration really isn't great. Uh, the truth of the matter is Reply has an integration with copper, some type of two-way sync-ish. Um, from their end, but we don't use it whatsoever because a lot of our clients, we need very, very custom campaign adding and removing. And depending on if something's replied, something different happens and their integration is great as it is. And they understand they're looking at seeing how they can improve it. But realistically, we're using Zapier and these other tools to do better integrations than what they've even built for themselves. So think of it from the the software standpoint. Should they be going and building every single integration in all existence? Like if you look at Copper, should they be integrating with absolutely everything? I almost feel like it's kind of a waste of time for them to be spending that much time building all that out. And it won't really be the, the needs of the customer. So I think that's where the tools like Zapier um, come into play and, and Trey, for example, too. So to speak on the point with Trey very quickly, uh, we've used them before. It seems like they're very much focused on the enterprise, like big, big movement. So if you're trying to build an integration that may have like a, a million triggers a month, that's something maybe that you'd think to use like Trey for. So something if you go through with Copper, they sync with Ring Central, but really they're using Trey on the background to be doing this sync. And it works well enough, uh, but the truth of the matter is now you're sign on with an integration account that's really built for enterprise and you're paying, you know, $48, $50 per month for this one integration where some of these other tools that exist like Zapier, you could do quite a bit for 50 bucks a month on their platform or $100, $200 a month. So I think that's where things are a little bit weird. Understanding your actual use cases, if you want to build five different integrations, so when it hits this stage, you want it to do this. And then what if it hits a different stage, you want it to do this. Something like Zapier or Integromat is going to treat you much better than something like Trey. Trey is not built for the average person trying to build a very easy, quick, you know, one-way sync or, or trigger, create some type of process from it. Yeah. And uh, I will speak to that real quickly before handing it over to Scott to talk about custom integrations. But um, yeah, Trey, like you said, uh, Trey is an, in an interesting realm with regards to the third-party integrators. They started off a little bit customer-focused where they would be almost like a Zapier, a flow builder version of Zapier. Blender's another one that have created this UI where you can sync different data types and different uh, sources and create this nice little integrated flow in their UI. 
ROI, right? With the, the, the tools that you use as a consumer. The other aspect of their platform, which was sort of in the dark for a while for the consumer side, is their white label integration provider side, where they actually are B2B company that sells their integrations to companies like Copper, where Copper can then, like you mentioned, decide whether to allocate bandwidth on their product and development side of things, on their product and development team, instead of developing these integrations, which are time consuming, they're tough to develop and also to keep up with. Instead of doing that, they can actually go to a third party like Trey and say, hey, you know, what would it cost us to partner with you and have you power all of these integrations on our integrations page? So Copper has chosen that route and they've decided to put their focus more on the product side of things and not on the integration side of things. So a lot of the integrations that you see on their integrations page are actually powered by Trey. So just a heads up there, not necessarily a bad thing because like Alex said, that money is going back into the product of Copper. But let's talk about custom integrations. I'll digress and uh, give it back to you, Scott, to talk about native versus custom. Yeah, look, thanks, Alex. I think um, I'm going to circle back to the trade decision uh, or, or thing at the end. But for the you know, consumers and, and the people that are trying to make CRM buying decisions that are listening to this cast now, I think it's important to know that 90%, if not 99% of the native integrations that CRM purport to have are really market employees. Um, you know, a, a CRM or any SaaS platform looks at who their target market is and what products they use most commonly, and they go and build integrations to those. So it looks great on the website because, as we've sort of said, you know, integrations inform the buying decision in a lot of cases. The reality is, though, that those integrations are often super simple. They've developed them as quick as possible with as limited features as they can to get something up on the website so that they can use it for marketing purposes. But because all businesses are you know, a little unique and a little different, very rarely does the native integration actually be a useful uh, tool for a business. Uh, and I say the only exception to that is something like Salesforce, where they've developed a marketplace that partners and other businesses can build custom integrations that are as sophisticated as you want. Um, and my personal belief is that um, if you're going to build a great product, you wouldn't build native integrations at all. You would actually do the Salesforce rate and have a marketplace where people can put their integrations up uh, to be used um, or really uh, push the idea that you can integrate with Zapier or Integromat or Tray or whatever so that people can build their own because they're just not deep enough. Oh, I think... That, that's great and super interesting point. And, I, and the thing that's weird is after talking to Copper and understanding some of the decisions that they made, they're worried about going through the solution of, I guess, pushing their end user to use something like Zapier. And what we're, we just talked about, essentially, you're kind of doing the same thing, but it's with Trey. It's just, it's more white labeled. So you feel like you're in control, but you're not necessarily giving a better user experience because it, it gives you the sense of control on their end. So it's it's kind of a weird thing i'm i'm it's i'm a little bit just thrown mm. off by the de decision there well i can see the logic behind it because all right let's take zapier were the uh the first ones to come to market with this well not the first but they did it the best uh they consumerized integrating products together the next logical view of that was well all of these SaaS platforms out there also want to integrate with a heap of platforms how about we service them so instead of having them 
have to have their own servers and their own infrastructure for managing all of their integrations, they can really quickly offer an integration on their website with another product. They come through to Trey or Workado or uh, MuleSoft or whomever. They build a simple integration that's highly scalable, can handle millions of integrations. It's completely white labeled and runs in the background. The, the customer never, ever even has to know and would yeah. never, yeah. ever know that Trey or MuleSoft or whatever is running in the background. So from the customer's perspective, they're just paying copper for a license. The fact that there is a third-party technologies being used, and let's face it, all SaaS platforms are using stacks of third-party tools to build and flesh out their product, right? The code's probably, you know, on GitHub or whatever, and there's, there's things all over the place. It's just natural. It's, it's how you develop these days. Um, so I don't think it's a problem that they're using Trey, and I think you'll see that more often. I think SaaS platforms will say, well, you know, CRM platforms will say, instead of building our own ones, we're going to go to a, a product that already has 10,000 connectors, create a few simple ones in the background that get people hooked from a marketing angle. And then if they want custom, we can either build them in that platform or they can find a partner. Uh, partners like you, Alex, partners like me, partners like uh, Mark, who can create integrations that suit their particular business workflow at a low cost and support it ongoing. Uh, all great points. And um, Mark actually has to get off in about 15 minutes. So I want to hear from Mark about integrations and then we'll jump into pricing where I definitely want to hear hear from Mark around uh, what he's seen uh, at scale with different uh, HubSpot builds. So Mark, any thoughts around what Alex and Scott have just mentioned? And I think you have something to say around uh, the different types of integrations and what's going on this year with regards to how many there are. Absolutely. So um, again, agreeing with both Alex B and, and Scott in terms of their points of um, these CRMs would be better off using a marketplace or, or integrating well with uh, with Zapier. When you look at HubSpot's um, popular apps from their, from their total ecosystem in 2018, Zapier was the number one, MailChimp was number two, Slack was three, WordPress was four, and down at number seven was Salesforce as a CRM. So even a company that has a CRM like HubSpot integrates well with a, a different CRM, one that's more customizable. And I like to say to my clients with Salesforce, anything's impossible. You just have anything's possible with Salesforce. You just have to build it. Um, so I think we are going to see more and more companies come out and. I personally believe that customers are okay with the fact that we can they could use Zapier to uh, connect to different services. However, I do understand from a marketing messaging point of view that not all of their target audience will be systems-led uh, people and automators like us who are quite comfortable setting up these processes. So I do see it being a slightly a difficult, cha a slight challenge for the, the, the SaaS platforms to, uh, to communicate that. Thank you so much, Mark. And that's a great segue into the pricing and the contracts and the models of these different CRMs. Thank you for listening to part one of this incredible segment on CRM. If you'd like to hear about pricing, integrations, and contracts, go ahead and listen to the full episode and you can skip to minute 50 in the full episode right here on the marketing automation discussion. Enjoy. Good to see you. Marketing automation discussion.